0: I think we are talking about these issues more than we ever have. And that's a very positive thing. Everyone plays their part.
1: One in three women worldwide have suffered abuse from a partner or sexual violence from someone else. So today we're speaking to Nicole Jacobs, the Domestic Abuse Commissioner for England and Wales, where 2.3 million adults experienced abuse at home between March 2019 and March 2020. This is Roaming, a podcast by Vodafone Foundation. And I'm Natasha Dalton, Head of Engagement for Vodafone's Philanthropic Arm. In this podcast, we talk about technology for good, the power of human connection, and the way lives are changed by networks. Over the past 10 years, the Foundation has connected over 1.4 million people affected by abuse to information, advice, and support through apps like BrightSky. In 2019, Vodafone published research that revealed 80 million working women across 107 countries that's approximately 15% of women in the workforce, had experienced domestic abuse in the last 12 months. Vodafone launched the first global HR policy to support employees in abusive relationships as a result. Andrew Dunnett, director at Vodafone Foundation, spoke with Nicole about why her job to raise awareness, support survivors, and hold the UK government and other agencies to account in tackling domestic abuse has never been more important.
2: Well, Nicole, it's so good of you to join us. I know you're immensely busy. There's a huge amount happening uh, at at the moment in in the area that you lead on here in the United Kingdom. But I just wanted to perhaps perhaps start our conversation by just asking, um, you know, what is your role? Explain, because it's a relatively new role, uh, explain the role of the Domestic Abuse Commissioner here in the UK.
0: It is a new role, um, Andrew, and it was created in the Domestic Abuse Act, which passed uh, in late April. And one of the many, many things that that piece of legislation did was create the role of the Domestic Abuse Commissioner for England and Wales. And sometimes people will have heard of the Victims Commissioner or the Children's Commissioner. It's a very similar type of role. Um, And it's really in recognition by government that we're very far behind where we need to be in relation to domestic abuse and all of the kind of associated harms, stalking, sexual violence, so-called honor-based violence. There's so much we need to do to improve our systems and our services. And so um, I, my office was set up to be independent of government. So it's not party political. It um, is created by uh, law. So whether it's me in the future or anyone else, there'll be a domestic abuse commissioner to really drive forward that change and day to day, it's a lot about both giving advice to government, but also using the powers of the office to create change.
2: And I mean, you've entered, I, I was reading this week um, a website called Counting Dead Women. Mm-hmm. You know, 81 women have died uh, in these circumstances in 20 week, 28 weeks since Sarah Everard's death. So mm-hmm. I mean, you've entered a crucial public office at a time when the focus and the attention and the desire to uh, to make a difference and to 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 really change this issue is greater than ever before mm-hmm. i mean it must have been an incredible two years for you because you haven't got time you know you 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 the pressure is on you and i just wonder since your appointment in 2019 to where you are today what you look back on and say yeah we're going in the right direction these are the right things that we're doing.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. It's a, There's a real growing recognition about this issue. I find it really very interesting because I've worked in many, many roles, mainly frontline and local kind of uh, initiatives for, for so many years now. And... Uh, it's always been clear to me how prevalent domestic abuse is. It's the most common reason people call the police. It's the most common reason children, social care, get involved with families. You, it is. It, it, you, I don't have to go very far to a social gathering, a neighborhood uh, gathering, a work gathering for someone to tell me about their own personal experiences. Our prevalence rates are so huge, Um you know, 2.3 million people last year will have said they've um, been subject to domestic abuse. But the the oddity about that is that the public conversations haven't matched that until recently. And I think some of that is because, of, like you've said, we've had these tragic um, murders that relate to, to people, women's in particular's feeling of safety at home, but also on the streets. And I think COVID also has really heightened people's awareness The the increases we saw of people help seeking during the whole of COVID and, and the lockdown, um, I think it is really educated a lot of people within government, within media. Um, and I think we are talking about these issues more than we ever have. And that's a very positive thing. Um, but again, I think while I can see that we've had a we've had a lot of progress over the last thirty years or so, we still have a long way to go. Um, and so we've seen, you know, you were asking what have been the key priorities in the last year. Um, you know, res- getting being able at the local level and national level to respond to COVID and that combination of lockdown and domestic abuse. You know, the additional. Um, resources, the changing in pol- the practice, uh, the the support that's needed, and our recognition that we really need these specialist domestic abuse, sexual violence services, and how heavily we depend on them, and and yet that the, they are not funded in a way that's very sustainable or stable.
2: Uh, one of the the biggest things in in, in your tenure to date, of course, has been the the advent of new legislation in this area, and when you sort of look at that process um and, and obviously you know you and your team have been intimately involved in that is the one or two things that stand out that really think you know we'll be able to do more we'll be able to really make a difference in the next five to ten years are there one or two things i mean it's a huge piece of legislation but are the one or two things that really encourage you when you look at that
0: yes i mean it it is true to say that one of the huge steps forward we've had in the last year is that pa- the passage of the domestic abuse act and it was A long time coming um when i was appointed in september two years ago i would have thought maybe i would stay in designate role two or three months i think andrew you and i met during that time and that's probably what we were thinking and um and of course we had the proroguing of parliament a change in government and then covid so the the legislation took longer but the um the upside of that was that it also improved over time. So it got a lot more scrutiny um, at every stage, including the Lords stage of the parliamentary process. And we came uh, we came away with a piece of legislation that was better than when it started. Um, but the key things that it does that I think would be notable for people to know is uh, it creates our first definition, which sounds very basic, but these are really important. Um, things for all services to understand the breadth of, of what domestic abuse is defined as coercion and control and financial abuse, which is very new and important. Uh, it recognizes children in their own right as victims. It it does all sorts of things that help civil court and criminal court, which I, I, like you said, I won't get into every detail of the legislation. But a couple of things in my view that it, it does that are particularly important is it creates Uh, a statutory duty for accommodation-based services. So for the first time ever, we have a situation where government has said, we recognize there must be this provision of service. We will allocate funding from the Treasury that will go directly to local areas to cover that duty. Um, and this year they, they will have sent 125 million pounds to the local areas for them to um, assess their needs and plan for accommodation-based services for domestic abuse. So what we t- tend to think of as refuge, but that extends a little bit further into other types of initiatives and services. But that is a huge step forward. We've never, ever, ever had that. I mean, in fact, what we've had most of the time in the last uh, 50 years is a kind of a patchwork in a building of services for domestic abuse, never sitting in core budgets, never very assured in terms of their stability. Um, And that's for refuge and and housing related services, but also community based services, the kind of drop in centers, the places where domestic abuse victims go for help and support when they're not necessarily needing to move home just yet or or wanting to stay at home. And so none of those services have ever had stability. They've all varied from place to place. And so at least with this duty, we've got part of that covered. And of course, I will want to see that covered Completely, I'd like to see that duty extend to community based services. And that's something we're working on um, now, which I'm sure we'll come back to. But that's a huge step forward in the legislation. And I suppose where we saw some improvements um, are particular offenses that are now included um, in the act. One is non fatal strangulation as a standalone offense. That affects many, many um, high risk survivors, you know, those who are subject to domestic abuse have that quite often as part and parcel of the physical abuse, but very, very often not prosecuted. So that's now a standalone offense. We have um, coercion and control offenses that are now applicable after separation, which is important for things like financial abuse and some of the ongoing controlling behaviors that happen after uh, after. And relationship has ended and we have threats of sharing indecent images as a standalone offense as well so those are a, a, a bit of a mix of some of the to me some of the outstanding uh, measures that are in the act
2: but it must i mean all, all of that because you know you, you you came to this through what 25 years as a practitioner um so to see some of this put into law on the back of 25 years, I think your first job was an intern in a prison, if I remember reading somewhere in Durham, <laughs> yeah. or some, some article on you. Yeah. And to, to now be on the other side of the fence, as it were, to, to move away from the, the practitioner work, where you presumably learned so much about what actually works and what actually makes a difference, mm-hmm. to be in a position where you are drafting public policy, drafting legislation, um, it must give you huge personal pleasure, albeit there's a huge agenda ahead, but it must give a lot of personal satisfaction to um, to, to you when you re- reflect on it.
0: It really does. It's a great thing to point out. I mean, to be able to take a lot of that learning over the years and apply it, it um, it also is very motivating to me knowing all the voices that I've worked with over the years and the expertise out there and trying to bring a diverse range of people not only my my views and opinions but but so many others that I've worked with over the years to make room um for them in conversations and in in influencing um decision making that that's highly motivating as well and then of course the flip side of that is that you feel a lot of pressure and so you you want so badly you I I care about these issues so much and um, and you want to have change as quickly as possible and, um, and as much as possible in terms of where you see priorities. And that I've learned, you know, within government and certainly not everything's remedied by legislation. But even within government, sometimes change can feel um, relatively slow. Although, like I said, uh, there's a lot of um, catalysts for change and there's a lot of commitment within government. Um, right now across the board, Um, it's not a party political issue, these things. And so I think there's a lot of um, shared understanding about progress that needs to be made. So I suppose, um, you know, I I could characterize my my early days in this role as bringing a lot of day-to-day knowledge about what happens and how things tend to play out at the local level and for survivors. And then my big learning curve has obviously been um, working within government but i have a great team at the domestic abuse commissioner's office and um, and i really rely on them and and i have learned a lot uh, i would hope in the last uh, in the last couple of years
2: there are, there are two issues Nicole, that i think um because you know Vodafone as a company has been very involved in this issue for 10 years and there are two issues that i think keep coming up in the company and i think those listening into this would, would be interested in your views on Um, The first uh, relates to perpetrators and then Mm -hmm. the second uh, regarding survivors. And, um, you know, I remember a board meeting uh, of the global company when we discussed uh, introducing Bright Sky and and one of the board members, uh, you know, they fully supported it and we've rolled it out in 10 countries and another five is is about to go live. And one of the questions that came up was, you know, what about the perpetrators? You know, Mm -hmm. what are we doing about that? And, um, you know, that, that question, I think, is coming up more and more. We had a, a webinar in the company on, on International Women's Day where we looked at some of these issues uh, and the question of toxic masculinity came up. You know, mm-hmm. what, what, you know, what, what are we going to do about, about that? So I suppose my, my question is, is um, I mean, I know the government is looking at a new strategy for perpetrators and maybe you can give a little bit more from a UK okay. perspective on that. But, you know, where do we begin you know, and how do we, uh, as in society, uh, rather than just just our company, but. But how do we begin to address this this really important issue? Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. And just before I say anything else, I have to um, point out just the incredible work that Vodafone has done, uh, as you know, leading the way in terms of um, making sure that this is a, a prominent issue that you talk to employees about, and you bring really credible work and attention. Too, and I do think um, that's really commendable and so I just have to say that just before I go on um I do think you're right about the idea that we're we're underdeveloped in a lot of areas and in particular perpetrator work so um sometimes when we talk about that work what we're meaning is um how do you hold perpetrators accountable so thinking about police action um Serial perpetrators, people from who move from one victim to another or very high harm perpetrators. Um, and that that will then run all the way through to what what would we what would good look like for someone who is very young, maybe using violence in relationships or being quite controlling and who has real um, a need to maybe not have the label of perpetrator, but is using violence or is exhibiting behaviors and really needs Um, some good guidance and uh, a thoughtful intervention to really change the trajectory of how they might um, conduct themselves in relationships. And so there's a and there's a lot in between in terms of um, you know, the role of health providers, housing providers, employers. There's so much there that we um I think it's is true to say is relatively underdeveloped. In other words, we have pockets of good practice in all of those kinds of areas I've just described, but we don't have really Um, a very good template or understanding of what good looks like across the board and that's partly because in general we've only ever funded and prioritized a crisis intervention um, in domestic abuse in general and we have to start to really genuinely invest in early intervention prevention as well. and a couple of things that have happened that are really good news in this area is that the the government has invested more substantially in the last two years in work that relates to really fleshing out what good looks like in some of those areas, early intervention, prevention, Um crisis intervention with perpetrators and investing in building up more of an evidence base. I think the Youth Endowment Foundation is very interested in this as well. Um, So there's some really, again, catalysts for change that are quite promising. We're not quite there yet, but I think um, considering the commitment of government They've published a violence against women and girls strategy and subsequently in in coming weeks they'll be publishing a domestic abuse strategy and sitting within that should be a very clear strand of work um, in relation to perpetrators so we need to just make sure and I think um, all of the spending review bids into the Treasury will have reflected this, a real desire to invest in this area and, and keep the momentum going but having said all of that I would say that if you know this is these are conversations I have on a daily basis. If I were talking to a police and crime commissioner, if I were talking to a local strategic partnership about domestic abuse, um, they would they would be a little unsure how to invest, you know, the little funding that they have or the scarce funding they have in a way that they feel is really highly effective um, because we're lacking some of that evidence base. We have Good evidence base for some things, you know. Group intervention. We have respect is a really great organization to know about in this area because they represent a lot of the the services throughout England and Wales who are providing these services at the local level, and they have an accreditation, a standards. Um, they also run a helpline for people who are concerned about their own behavior. Again, seeing. You know, large increases throughout COVID in the last year and and a half, and so um, I think we're moving in the right direction. Very much so. I'm I'm also chairing a perpetrator uh, reference group, strategic reference group, where I've, I've invited. Um, representatives from all areas of public and community services. So probation, for example, housing, health. And I think, you know, it's one of the few forums where we're, we're having kind of a strategic conversation at quite a high level to help um, influence what's happening in members' perspective areas or respective areas of work, but also share and talk together um so that the communication is clearer to government. Where do we see gaps? What do we need to see happening? Um, all of those things. There's again, no easy answers. And if there were ever easy answers, um perhaps my role wouldn't be needed. So these are these are pretty complex things, but we are getting um at least oriented I think in the right direction.
2: Yeah, I mean I think I, I read one example of 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 the sort of complexity of it, but also the the sometimes the, the simplicity and answer with, with North North Yorkshire police. Where I think, in seven prisons now in Yorkshire, they are preventing uh abusers from writing to survivors, so mm-hmm. you know when I read that uh, I just thought you know it just makes complete enough sense. It may be quite complicated to implement mm-hmm. because of um uh you know for all sorts of practical reasons that come to mind, even though I'm not a practitioner in the field, but there are practical things that immediately come to mind but but I think simple steps like that, mm-hmm. uh, again, presumably, and have been very successful in, 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 in North Yorkshire, In uh, there's not a single answer, is there? I mean, that's the challenge is, is you can have legislation, legislation can define things, can create a framework that's much better, can mandate services, can give statutory powers to your position. But at the end of the day, an issue like this is a whole host of things coming together with a host of agencies presumably Mm -hmm. um and and uh finding that common ground and those small things that together make all the difference
0: Mm -hmm. i agree and i i think what what happens at the local level is often there's commissioning of services um and there is some multi-agency working that's oriented to high risk uh i i families where it's, there's been an identification of high risk by one agency or another. So it's not to say that nothing happens, but what often doesn't happen as much is that kind of strategic problem solving. And that's a great example in North Yorkshire that you're talking about, where people have come together, they've identified um, this issue, and they've actually problem solved it together through the end. And and a lot of times our, our domestic abuse services have such a lot of Individuals coming to them for help—it's very hard for them to kind of lift their head up and really lead potentially that the problem-solving of something like that through the end. They really depend on that partnership working, and that's what we have to model more. And also, I would—I would hope that um, I know you know obviously government and and at the national level there's a big role to play. But I think my office is. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and it slightly boiled somebody said to me you it's like you keep the light shining you know the so there's instead of getting distracted uh, doing. One thing or another, or changing priorities at the national level. My office is there to really help drive that consistent response, and um, and I would very much hope to play that type of role. So, as soon as I heard that example, my immediate thought was, why wouldn't that be happening everywhere? Why? What's help? What What's holding us back from that? Um, that initiative being just normal practice and and why aren't we having these conversations elsewhere so those are the types of things we try to pick up and move conversations forward Um, and we try very hard to kind of keep to very clear priorities but also leaving some room to have uh to have things examples like that um still helping to influence our day to day and kind of being able to fold in a few more all the time.
2: And, and that, the second area that I, when I you know just thinking about our conversation was, uh, I think the Ministry of Justice harm panel said that the, the, the there's risk of additional harm and trauma by the system, by that they meant the court system. So when the courts inevitably are involved in this, um, you know, there the, the can be an even more negative impact upon those who've survived. Mm-hmm. uh etc cetera, etc cetera. I, I just wondered you know whether you saw that as a priority for, for the next three to five years um yeah. again law in this space must be very complicated i'm not a family lawyer uh i don't know the circumstances but i but i suspect you know, if the Home Office or the Ministry of Justice is feeling it's not good enough, then there's obviously something wrong, and there's obviously something that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And and is that a priority for you to be part of that mm-hmm. conversation and change as well?
0: It is, and I mean, it's the single family court in, ex- in negative experiences, and this family court is the single most frequent reason uh, survivors or victims of domestic abuse get in touch with my office. Um, and the harm panel report was so widely received as as a really good accurate understanding and that's because experts were involved a huge amount of public consultation um, was given to that report and and the amazing um you know result was that the government really wholesale accepted these recommendations and said yes we have a lot of work to do in fact in in anyone i've talked to within family courts um There's a real desire to make sure that all of these recommendations get um, put in place. So things like piloting of a more inquisitorial court model. So things are not so adversarial. Um, There's a there's a review that I sit on about um, the presumption of parental involvement when harm is alleged. Uh, and whether there should be changes or not to that presumption, so that's something that there's there's a lot of work ongoing stemming from that harm panel report. again, it feels quite slow sometimes, but it, but definitely from my point of view, you know there's a whole program of work sitting behind um, those recommendations and a key one is um, is asking me as the domestic abuse commissioner and also Vera Baird, the victims commissioner to um, report annually on how domestic abuse is being addressed in the family court. So all summer, I've been running roundtables, um, and we have a final one this afternoon, and hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll we'll finalize our plan. But it, it is about, as you said, Andrew, it's a complex area. Family court is not um, an open court for obvious reasons in terms of children and confidentiality. Um, but it's really trying to figure out if you wanted to understand better the picture of how domestic abuse is being dealt with within the family court, what information would you need to get at? Who would you have to talk to? What information would you have to bring together? It's not all sitting in court files, what you, what we would want to know. And so we've been consulting all summer with round tables um, and, we're just nearing the end of hopefully a proposal we'll now agree on about how we'll we'll do that going forward. And I would hope that that will give us a really good momentum and um, clear kind of pathway of changes that are needed um, to influence all of it. There's so many people who come together to make the, the family court either a quite a good, positive, reasonable, fair experience or a very, very negative one. And of course, the stakes couldn't be higher. You've got Um, children, uh, decisions in relation to where the children will live, who they will see, which parents they'll see, and if that's supervised or not. There's so many um, life-changing decisions made there. So I, I think, you know, anything we can do to give that as good oversight as possible and also really help people within the system, including judges and others, feel confident that they know what they think is happening. Sometimes you talk to people and they'll say, I don't see that type of practice happening in my court. I would be horrified uh, if I thought in other courts they weren't understanding domestic abuse. Um, so I think it gives all the system, including um, obviously survivors of domestic abuse, more confidence that they, they feel there's kind of a fair look into the family courts. And
2: my, my final sort of area, just to ask you a couple of questions, Nicole, is uh, around sort of technology and companies um and uh you know you're familiar with what we've done with with the bright sky uh program and and the texos program uh the research that we've done uh and of course with EDA and um being a founding member of, uh, of the employers initiative against domestic abuse um do you welcome that sort of activity do you think companies uh, you know, organisations have a role to play uh, in in your work or in 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 this change that you want to see. And and, and what would be your encouragement or your you know your your um, advice to us and others who are engaged in what for us is a difficult space to get engaged in, but we've been doing it for ten years. It's the right thing to do.
0: Um, well, I admire it. I really do. I think you know, Vodafone is a case. Uh, example of, you know, really taking on um, this issue in a meaningful way. I, I think any employer uh, by any means has a role to play. The Employers Initiative, as you mentioned, um, is, a, is a really great network to get involved with. Um, domestic abuse happens to us all, and certainly employers have a role to play. And then I think often what happens, and what probably has happened in Vodafone very much, is as leaders... Um, who are really innovative and who feel um, really able to to set direction, r- become more interested and committed and knowledgeable. They inevitably turn their attention to solutions, which is very exciting. Um, so I think then you start to see things like the apps you've mentioned um, and other initiatives that start to happen um, I had, you know, people contact me during COVID talking about, well, could we put, you know, icons on certain websites where people, um, when they're ordering goods, could could see and just be reminded of what services are out there. There's so much um, a, a, of a different but very important perspective that business brings to these issues um, that... If you're sitting in a frontline domestic abuse service, you may think about but whether you would have the ability and some of the expertise in terms of tech or other types of things to do um, might be limited. I mean we have we do have some charities who get involved in these things, but it's um, like I said, everyone plays their part and it's not about one is better than the other, but I think it's about this kind of shared. Uh, responsibility shared interest and in leadership and I think that is what is really exciting um, that you see at Vodafone and, and a few other partners obviously um, that you have I know you work alongside other other partners for some of these things but that's that's such great modeling of, of bringing people together problem solving together um, and and bringing your respective strengths to these types of projects so it's so important.
2: And the last question I got for you, uh, Nicole, was is, is um, you, you talked in the past about you know good practice to common practice, okay? Which I, is a lovely phrase uh, I picked up from somewhere, just sort of reading I your work. I do say
0: it a lot, actually. Yeah, it's, it's a great, it's
2: a great, um, <laughs> it's it's a great phrase. I suppose um, the other side of my brain is saying, but well, we also need societal change. Mm-hmm. You, you you know what I mean? I, I, and you could do c- comparisons; it probably wouldn't be. It uh, wouldn't be good to do comparisons because of the severity of this subject, but we can all think of things in our minds where, at some point, there's a tipping, there's mm-hmm. a tipping point, and society collectively says this is not acceptable, this will not be tolerated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, eighty-one women in twenty-eight weeks—it's mm-hmm. totally unacceptable.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I suppose, um, wh- when does the, the the good practice leading to common practice? make societal change when does that moment happen um or or maybe you don't know when that's going to happen but i just sort of that that's how i see just sort of listening to you and reading about your work and being involved in a small way in, in this incredibly important subject we all want societal change that is what has got to happen um but but um when do you see that happening so that's a very unfair question. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> I
0: do think about this a lot, and particularly in interviews recently, in relation to the the you know the the public conversations about women's safety, and you know these are broader conversations even even than domestic abuse, although it's part of it. There, um, I I do think it's probably it is about when I think of best practice being common practice that to me is a lot about getting to the detail of what specific changes are needed to really drive consistency and i think that then ultimately changes people's views and expectations as well so there's something about changing public views and opinions and and thoughts through what they see happening day to day how do the police react when they're when they're called how do uh, are their services available are these valuable Um, Services We've been mapping, for example, all summer, all of every service uh, for domestic abuse and sexual violence in England and Wales, because we want to get very serious about the idea of of a duty to fund these services, um, an ability to do that and a recognition in government that that needs to be done. Um, So I think there is something about having high expectations or maybe just you know, a realistic expectation considering how prevalent and harmful domestic abuse is. And then I think alongside that, we have to have more um, conversations within the public domain. So um, about, about, um, you know, what is a healthy relationship and what, and how do we talk about these things much more actively in schools? They're um, starting this year, mandatory, you um, Modules in relation to healthy relationships, kind of age appropriate through pr- primary and secondary schools. Um, having teenagers of my own now, I know that's a huge step forward, but school is not the only place we're influenced. We need to look at kind of wider media, um, you know, online forums and and have high expectations um, there. I think there's so many different ways we have to kind of push at these issues um, to to have that societal change. But I would say usually the the most caution I often feel is launching a lot in the public domain, but not having the services and the practice to back it up. So that's why I constantly revert back to, you know, the stream of work, which is about um, you know, good practice to common practice, so that when we do start to to work through these changes, and people inevitably come forward and need services, and we will want to trust in them that those that they're actually there, and in place. I know that may sound a bit preachy, but I do think it it is in my mind the kinds of things that my my office, particularly, we have to stay focused on, um, so that we can really meet that demand, um, and the, meet that change that we want to see.
2: Nicole, it's lovely talking to you and, and we really appreciate uh, you taking the time out. I mean, you know, on behalf of all of Vodafone who feel very passionately about this issue and want to, uh, to be part of that change the best practice, to bring our technology to the table, You know, just a, a huge thanks for, for sharing with us something of the direction of travel uh, that you're taking. And on behalf of all of us, we wish you every success, uh, all power to you, Uh, as you do this incredibly important work uh, on behalf of of our society uh, and on behalf of, of people whose lives have been shattered uh, by this, uh, by this, this difficult and complex issue. So, uh, we wish you every success. It's lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for your time.
0: Thank uh, you. And
2: We are fully behind you in all the work and all the change that you're trying to bring about. So thank you.
0: Well, I absolutely feel that Andrew, and thank you for all that you do personally, but, but any everyone listening at Vodafone, you're very much a part of that change. Um, so thank you Ed, for all of, all of what you do.
1: Thanks for listening to Roaming, a podcast by Vodafone Foundation. And huge thanks to our guest, Nicole Jacobs. You can find more information about the work of the Domestic Abuse Commissioner at domesticabusecommissioner.uk. And don't forget, if you're concerned about an abusive relationship, you can download Bright Sky from the App Store and Google Play for information, advice and support. We'll see you next time.